This summer we're taking a look at the love of God. And I've entitled the series, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, underscore me. Relying on the love of God. The bottom line is that I'm hoping that this summer, those of us who struggle with appropriating God's love for ourselves, struggle with the idea that God loves us individually, extends to me. For those of us who struggle with this, I'm hoping that through this series, you will be bathed in scripture that attests to the fact that God loves you. Those of us who are struggling with this idea because of a wide range of reasons, some of which have been mentioned today. Seeing a father as unconditional in his love might have framed and shaped your understanding of God's love. But those of us who have struggled with this idea, we are hoping that God's scripture, his holy word, as we look at the very proof that he loves each one of us individually and uniquely, will help us to rely on the love of God. You know, many of us that have this difficulty really don't have a problem with the idea that God loves you. We, we see the word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we don't struggle with that. We kind of like, yeah, I can understand it. I, can, I as, as an individual, has his struggles appropriating and appreciating because of my life, um, I can still accept it for you and have a pretty strong grip on that. But for me, sometimes, because of my past, for me, because of, yeah, just how I've come to see the world, I can struggle. And I can see that maybe, or feel that maybe it doesn't extend to me. So today, I'm going to talk about the fact that God's love for you individually is laser-guided. I am going to be teaching from Psalm 139. I think it was the Iraq War that taught us that armaments have changed a lot. Bombs used to be big, but they weren't precise, particularly in World War I. <laughs> and they've increasingly gotten more precise. So during the Iraq War, I remember, you know, they were showing these computer screens and they were showing the targets and, you know, it was kind of like missiles could just sort of like hit the top of a pin. And we know that they're not that far advanced, but... They've come an awful long way. Psalm 139 tells me that God's love for me is laser-guided. It is for me, Tim Edwards. It is for you. 
It's laser guided. There's a big difference between the old technology in armaments, in bombs, and the new technology. And in a way, I'm going to start in a strange way talking about this because I'm not going to get to Psalm 139 right away. I want to talk to you about the fact that this idea of the old technology of armaments as compared to the new technology can be instructive for us when we think about how God has dealt with the world. God created the world. He created men, both men and women. And even before the creation of the world, he made a plan to redeem us because he knew that we would sin. He knew that we would put a barrier between ourselves and a loving God. And so he worked out a plan. The first way he reached out to humanity, we call the old covenant, old technology. Um, he gave the law to Israel. And the law was this vast mechanism of rules and regulations that we were to, or the God's first family, the Israelites, were to obey. And it was very much based on conforming or training behavior. This is what you are to do, and this is what you're not to do. And it covered the breadth of life, quite frankly, from what you were to eat, what you, how you were to worship, your relationships with other people, how you were to be governed, Everything that you could find in a culture was included in this law. The result for the Israelites with this law was this, that they interpreted God's reaching out to them through the giving of the law as though God was distant was not intimate at all. That you could kind of know about God, but it was always at arm's length. As a matter of fact, no one could actually come into the presence of God other than one priest once a year, and there was all kinds of rules and regulations around that. So the Old Covenant was not a covenant of intimacy. Rather, an old covenant believer would, would feel that there were layers upon layers upon layers that would sort of separate him from a holy God. But it was from God. And it had a purpose. It taught 
us that God is holy. And how far we have fallen from the way he wanted us to be. God gave that old covenant knowing full well that we could not fulfill it ourselves. That the, the Hebrew family, Abram and Sarah's family, would never be able to fulfill it and would be frustrated. Would realize there's got to be something better than this. There has to be a way so that I can have an unfettered relationship with this God who I read about is a loving God. And so then we find that the second act in God's plan of redemption for his people was to send Jesus Christ. And Jesus would be the complete fulfillment of the old covenant for us. Because we, they, the Hebrews, could not do it themselves. It's just, you had to be perfect, and you couldn't be perfect. And so God taught through the law what sin was, and it taught us that we needed a Savior, someone to be the fulfillment of all of those rules for us because we simply couldn't do it. And so in Jesus Christ, we have the answer to the frustration of the old covenant. He came and he fulfilled all the requirements by being the perfect lamb of God who died on the cross to pay our penalty for our sinfulness and made unfettered access and so, in the Old Covenant, you have this arm's length relationship with a holy God, but in the New Covenant, we have unfettered access. Each one of us, each individual, has unfettered access to a personal relationship with the very God that in Israel, only once a year, one man having cleansed himself and having done a myriad of things to prepare himself, came into the presence of. It's the same God. Christ made a way. You know, in the olden days, they tell me that a young man who had feelings for a young woman and wanted to show those feelings by taking her out on a date had to be accompanied by a guardian. <laughs> well, this is how Paul describes the law, this first covenant, the old covenant, the old technology. He describes it as a guardian. We read in Galatians 3 these words. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. That's what Christ did. He justified us by faith. He, he, he took care of the barrier. And but now that faith has come, we no longer are under a guardian. In other words, we don't have to fulfill all the rules, the, the regulations, all the permutations, all of the layers of the old covenant in order to be in a right relationship. 
Christ came. And so we no longer have the burden of the law or the old covenant. Under the old covenant, there was a guy called Jeremiah. And he foretold through the spirit of a future time when there would be a new covenant. So here Israel is, laboring, quite unsuccessfully, mind you, under this old covenant. And Jeremiah came along and he said these words. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, as if he's some distant kind of person that you can only learn about in your head. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness. That's what Christ did to set aside the old or to fulfill the old covenant and will remember their sins no more. Do you see the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? Do you see the old covenant as this huge mechanism of trying to have a relationship with God versus the new covenant which is so intimate. Look what Christ said about this intimate relationship that we can have through him. He said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. Nothing new there. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, and listen to this, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So by virtue of the promised Holy Spirit, who has gifted each believer with the Holy Spirit, Christ has gifted each believer with the Holy Spirit, we are no longer at arm's length to a loving God. We actually have intimacy because he is resident within each one of, each one of us. Now, please hear this. It is sad that those of us who get caught up in not being able to appropriate the love of God for ourselves relate to God as though they are in the old covenant. What they do is, is they try to appease this holy God with high moral standards and good works and living sacrificially. They're doing, doing, doing to try to have a good relationship with God and ignoring the fact that they have a good relationship with God because of faith in Jesus Christ, period. Amen. 
And that is sad. I want you to know that in the Old Covenant, there were exceptions. There were individuals who understood that the rules and regulations of the law were given to build relationship with the Holy God. And they got through that. <laughs> and they could see that all these rules and regulations were meant for a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. King David was one of them. What does the Bible say about King David? He was a man after God's own heart. It also says he was a friend of God. So here he is in this old covenant relationship, but he's a friend of God. He can see that all of the rules and all of the regulations, the spirit of it was to allow us access to a holy and loving God. And he loved God. He wrote this song, Psalm 139. This is how David perceives his God. Responding to him or God's posture to David, how God relates to David. Psalm 139, I've divided into six statements. I color coded them just to make a difference for us. Because they have, I think, six fairly distinct thoughts about God and how David saw them. First one is, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. David believed that the loving God, the holy God, the God of the old covenant, who he uh, of which he was a part of and party to, knew everything about him. Now, if you believe that God is a God whose love is conditional and is not laser-guided, but is basically carpet-bombing, that should make you scared. <laughs> God knows you. He knows your thoughts. Yeesh. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you did last. He knows everything about you. And if you see God as a distant, judgmental God, a God who is high and mighty, definitely, but who also doesn't tolerate wickedness in the sense that Christ has not done what he's done, <laughs> you should be afraid of that statement. But not if you see God as a loving God. If you see God as a loving God, that says to me, you know everything about me and you love me. Isn't that awesome? Yes. You know I'm a creep, but you love me. That says something about you, Dad. Your love is like no love that we can find on earth. Secondly, he says these words. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, continue on. Even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I used to read that as, man, there's nowhere to hide from this guy. But I didn't see God as a loving God. But when you see those words from the perspective of God as a loving God, it says, there's no way I can escape your loving gaze. Amen. Very different. Adam and Eve, what did they do when they sinned? Went to the bushes and hid. What did they find out about that loving God? He brought them out of the bushes. He said, here, put this stuff on, clothe yourself. Gave them a way to survive. Oh yeah, they're going to live with the consequences of sin, but he still provided for them and he loved them. Let's move on. The third one, for you created my inmost being and knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was in the dark, made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Does that mean that he's got a big head? Does that mean like he's got an ego problem? No, it doesn't. It means that he knew that the person he was is the person that God created him. And some of us have, quite frankly, a problem with that. Oh, God, I wish you had, you know, made me with a little more intellect. I feel so stupid when I'm hanging around with those people. Or, you know, how could my sister got all the good looks? Why can't I get rid of this stuff? <laughs> and we have these issues. And, and so if you see God as a God who's distant and, and far away and, 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 and not interested, you can see him as a God who didn't take great care. But if you see him as a loving God, you hear through these words, these words. He's made me just the way he wants me. And I am. I am my father's daughter. That awesome. I'm just the way I'm supposed to be. The next section is, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If God is not a loving God, that's just control. But if he is a loving God, that is, he's made a wonderful plan for my life. Next. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. 
You're thinking about me. And if your God is not a loving God who's intimately involved in your life and interested in you and for you and pleased with you, if he's not that type of God, you look at a statement like that and you say, well, what's he actually thinking about me? Is he disappointed? All these thoughts he has for me, I bet you half of them are, you know, I wish Tim would shape up. Why doesn't he do this? Why hasn't he learned that? But if you see him as a loving God, these thoughts towards you are thoughts of love, of affirmation, of care, of mercy, of grace. The last statement in Psalm 139 is an odd one. You think, what? Why do you throw that in? If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who, have, who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and, find my, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You can get hung up on that language. But to summarize what he's saying, he's saying basically this. I know that you're a loving God, and I'm on your side. I want to identify with you. I want to be on your team. I, I'm with you. And anybody who's against you, I'm against. I love you. And if there's anything inside of me that's offensive to you, I want to deal with it, God, because I know how much you love me. And I, I want to be the best person I can be for you. Those of us caught in the trap of, uh, of not believing that God's love extends to them will say, well, that's David, man. See? Proves my point. David is awesome. God, God loved David. What, what's there not to love about David? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Read your Bible. Find out about David. I bet you David did some things that you have not even thought about doing. Unless, of course, you've killed the woman you had an adulterous relationship, you killed her husband. How can David see God as a loving God knowing that about himself? We've seen from last week that God has proven his love is not just for everyone else, but it is for you too. And so it is a laser-guided love and so you take the statements of Psalm 139 and you filter them through this attitude that these words are about a God who loves me and is for me. And so you say, he, he knows me, yet he still loves me. I'm never outside his loving gaze. 
You made me with special care to be exactly who I am. You've custom made a plan for my life. I'm always on your mind. And I long to be like you, to be like my creator. So what is the response? What other response could you have other than wanting to be in relationship with this loving God? Another song. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Out of his rich love for us, we respond by wanting to be saturated by it and being in his presence. We're going to close today by just singing a song, a cappella. It's a song that's familiar to most of us, I'm sure. It's as a deer pants for water. This should be our response. And I want you to sing it as a prayer. As a prayer to, that responds to the truths that David writes about as to how God is, how laser-guided it is. His love for each and every one of us is individual and it is unique to each one of us. God loves you. Yes, Jesus loves me. Even me.